0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning to you again as we take a look at God's word through James that was just read in our hearing. Uh, we indeed have been going through this wonderful letter that James wrote to the uh, Christians in dispersion throughout the known world during that time. And James writes about a lot of concerns, but one main thing that he has on his heart is that they love one another and learn how to fulfill that royal law of love to one another. And James is teaching them how to watch out for certain things, how to watch out for their own hearts in terms of favoritism, in terms of who looks the most appealing. He's teaching them how to look out that they will not um, have friendship with the world and become enemies of God. He's encouraging them to come under the grace of God, saying that God uh, opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And James wants them to see as well, as we looked at last week, uh, that as they go about their business of being merchants, uh, to do the will of the Lord, to do what God requires of them. And so today we come and and look at this passage. James gives uh, a warning, a warning about the perils and the challenges of the rich. And so we will take a look at that. But first, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for another opportunity to open up the bread of life, the bread that you feed us with day by day. Whether we sit down and sup from you through reading it and listening to you, whether we hear it through song, God, you speak constantly to our hearts by the power of your spirit. And so it's fitting that we ask now, oh God, to speak to our hearts. We're listening, oh God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so yes, as we come to this passage, we realize that James is coming with some uh, really uh, serious, a really serious tone and some, some hard language here. And he gives them a warning. It kind of reminds me of Uh, I heard a story about someone who got pulled over by a state trooper and uh, he he was begging the state trooper, sir, please, sir, please give give me a warning. And the officer said to him, hey, between here and D.C., there have been eight warning, warning signs that we've given you. They're called speed limit signs. And so the Lord gives us warnings in all kinds of ways, right? Whether we're paying attention to them or not. But in this passage, you know, through James 5, 1 through 6, you know, the Lord is, he warns us about the judgment towards the rich. What's happening here? There's a misuse and abuse of wealth. People are being oppressed and the purposes of God are not fulfilled in the world. That gets heaven's attention. Throughout scripture, the Lord does warn of the dangers of all kinds of things, you know, lusting after things in the world, idolizing things in the world, uh, worshiping things that are, are not who Him and Himself and who He is. Uh, and so He warns us here about the perils of choosing the riches of the world over God. And James, in verse one, through His warning, tells us plainly that He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl. For the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, this invitation here is for the rich to consider the impending judgment to come. James commands them to cry and to do so with a loud voice for the coming pain and distress of Judgment Day. James uses here some of the language of the Old Testament prophets they warn the people. They warn the people about the judgment that will come. Isaiah, Isaiah 13, he tells the people, well, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction for the Almighty, it will come. In Hosea, we learn the same thing. They do not cry for me from the heart. This is God speaking. But they will wail well upon their beds for grain and wine. They gash themselves. They rebel against me. So this is not the first time that James in this epistle addresses the rich in chapter one. We remember he urges the rich to boast in their humiliation, like boasting that humbling humiliation, boasting your reduction to a lower position because you're used to being so high. You will fade away in your pursuits if you're not careful. In chapter 2, James says, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So the rich are turning up the heart of those in the community and they were known for their greed. One scholar notes this. He says, this was a class of people frequently criticized in the Old Testament which carried on to the New Testament as well. And all throughout Jewish literature in the Greco-Roman world, they were criticized for their greedy acquisition of land because that meant more riches. They were criticized for their exploitation of those forced to work on the land for them. But you know, you come to this passage and you notice something, that James singles out the rich. It's like, are these rich people believers in the community? Are they unbelievers in the community? Who are the rich? Some scholars say they are not Christians. Some say that they are. Nevertheless, James explains this to us here so that we all can hear about the dangers of what it means to have possessions. And the dangers of being tempted to put those possessions First in your life before God. So whether he's talking about believers or non-believers, this is for Christians too. Now, is the Lord opposed to wealth? The the giver of all, is he opposed to that? Biblically speaking, the Lord is not opposed to wealth in the life of believers. We think about believers that did have wealth throughout biblical times, like Abraham, like David, like Solomon, like Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And many others that we can name off. So therefore, the, the rich are not condemned in this passage for their wealth, but for their sinful use of their, of their wealth. It's the sinful use of it. But what is God's purpose of wealth? What's God's purpose of wealth? I think he answers this in First Timothy chapter 6. Paul encourages Timothy to charge the rich, not to be prideful, not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainties of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Every time I read that, I, I, I'm just stumped. God provides everything for us to enjoy. He richly provides this as our hearts are set upon him. I would say only can we truly enjoy what he's given us. Paul goes on to state that the rich are to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous. To be ready to share what they have. They are to be ready to store up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So as we set our hope on God, the purpose of the riches that we have is for our enjoyment. But God has to be the center. Along with everything else in our lives is for our enjoyment. God richly provides for us. Our riches are for the good works and for generosity, for helping others, for helping others to flourish. That's the beauty of God. True treasure is stored up that is centered around the life and purposes of God. This is not always the case and wasn't in this community as we saw folks being taken advantage of, folks being oppressed. So in what areas does the Lord warn the rich in this passage? We see that the Lord rebukes them of self, selfish hoarding of their wealth. The Lord rebukes them of defrauding and cheating workers. He rebukes them of selfish indulgences. And he rebukes them of violent oppression. It's all right there in the text. James, James addresses Selfish hoarding in verses two and three, he says, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eating. Your gold and silver have corroded and the corrosion will be the evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. James tells the rich that their possessions will not last. They believe that all things will last for them. All things will go well. But their riches have an expiration date. The crops from their harvest will rot and decay. The clothes made from the animal skin will be consumed by moths who feast on the protein from the very animal skin that they wear. After using their wealth for selfish purposes, they will witness decay and destruction of their things which will become a testimony against them because they have so much. What they have will shout out against them that what they are doing in their heart's disposition is evil through hoarding it. They have what I would like to call a, a duck tail, Scrooge McDuck concern for their riches. For a moment, it will be fun to set their eyes on their precious gold and silver, even swimming But it would be shown for what it is, treasuring up earthly goods and losing all heavenly good for their souls. As Mark 4 states, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the other things enter in and choke the word in our lives. And what we do proves unfaithful. You know, Jesus does warns, right? It's sort of in the backdrop as James right here He warns the same thing in Matthew 6. He says, hey, don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's extremely difficult to serve two masters. Either you will love the one or, and hate the other, you cannot serve both God and money, God and possessions, God and whatever else it is. It can also be said that you will be loved by one of those things and destroyed by the other. As Job stated, man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. So you see throughout scripture, throughout time, this has been on the heart of God. The hoarding, the things, us hoarding up in our hearts, the things that will not last. You know, Gina's family lived in in, an attached row house that they owned in Maryland. Some time ago, a fire started in the next door neighbor's house, which resulted in the destruction of their home and most of their possessions. You know, it should have been a small fire, but here's the case. The neighbor had an excessive collection of junk and combustible materials. Their house was filled from floor to ceiling with magazines, papers, books, you name it, gas cans, flammable materials, all kinds of things. The fire jumped from house to house. The firefighters had to go into another house to break in and extinguish the fire. They just couldn't get into that house that was on fire because there was so much debris. The local fire captain said the collection of combustible material was the worst that he's ever seen. Had it been a normal house, the damage to their property would have been greatly diminished or even eliminated. This was a clear case of hoarding, storing up possessions. You cannot move if you have so much. You cannot flourish. It reminds us of plants, right? When I grow my tomato plants and I allow them just to roam as they will, they become tangled. I cannot get down to the fruits and, and enjoy it. The plants won't flourish even. They will become so entangled that they can't move and, and, and spread, spread out. In some places in America, it's like that, right? We live in the wealthiest country in the world. There are a lot of things that we accumulate. We have so much that we can't even begin to give it all away. Some may feel guilty about this, about what they have, because they realize they can't get rid of it. There's something about the disorder of hoarding that even though you see it, you don't believe that it's too much in your life. Time can be something that we hoard. Maybe you're an introvert and you need some time to yourself, but you use that as an excuse. It's like, I got to have more time than anybody else to do the things that I need to do. When God may be calling you or me to branch out more, to give my time away for other purposes in the kingdom, for building relationships, for volunteering, for doing other things. There are all kinds of things that we hoard in our lives and stuff our hearts, hearts with, But God is calling us, hey, do you want to be on fire? If not, let's give some of those things up. Let's loosen the grip on those things. And this is what James rebukes the wealthy of, of their hoarding, storing up treasures for the day of judgment. He also rebukes them of their fraudulent activity. They are cheating other people. He says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you. The wages and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James is calling his listeners to closer consideration and contemplation of how the rich are exploiting them, defrauding them, deceiving them in their community. The rich have turned deaf ears to the workers, cries for, in, for justice, to pay what they owe. But God hears. God hears. The volume of his ears is turned up towards those who are being oppressed. God hears. God always hears those who cry out for him. We remember the Israelites in Exodus down in Egypt. They groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. The Lord rescued them. He heard their cry. He sent the deliverer. He sent the mediator. God protected them from the enemy that pursued them. God delivered them to himself. God hears the cries of the oppressed when the rich want to hold back what they owe them so that they can gain more. You know, as a young man, Steve purchased a house in D.C., When he moved out, he decided that he was going to be the best landlord ever. And he was. He he got some tenants that didn't pay him for a few months. They had every excuse as to the reason they were holding back what they owed him. Every excuse. And then after several months, Steve had to take them to court to get what they owed him. And Steve's lawyer explained the situation to the judge and then the, the tenants then put a large plastic bag on the table and said, they said, I have the rent money right here. It was filled with rent money for, for the last seven months. They were holding back what they owed, hoping to get away with cheating, committing fraud. There are times when it's indeed difficult to pay back what you owe. I remember having a a small loan for my graduate studies. When the grace period ended, it was time for me to pay up, but I didn't have any money. So I had to extend that grace period. So I was in a dilemma, catch 22. They probably felt robbed because I didn't have the money to pay them, but I felt robbed too because the interest was racking up. How often do we withhold what we owe? God is clear from his word. That we should pay the continuing debt of love to one another. There are many ways that we can express this debt of love. You see, the harvesters, they needed the rich to pay up. Because it depended on whether they would live or die. It depended on whether or not their families would eat. In, these, in this rural time, the people def- dependent on those wages. So they can feed their families but through deceitful planning the rich have decided that their greed is more important than being fair to those that work for them James rebukes them for their selfish hoarding their fraudulence and even their selfish indulgence we see that in verse 5 James says hey you lived on the earth in luxury and in self indulgence you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter James discloses further about their personal lives. They have this insatiable appetite to enrich their own hearts through being selfish, through indulging themselves, to treating themselves like vacation is all the time. They love the nice things. They fill up their lives with them. And they have more and more excessive living. They're living for their own pleasures and not for the will of God. Their greed is never ending. The whole of their hearts is never filled. It's meant for God anyway. So instead, they enlarge themselves through their hearts, their minds, their bodies, their souls, with the pleasures of the world in every way. And it shows up in their lives, in their bodies. It shows up. It looks as if they have become a, a, a calf fattened for slaughter. They're right for the final judgment of God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place where you go through a period of life, you're just self-indulging, everything that feels good, you're just piling it on, no matter if it's food or just living lavishly, you just feel like, I I just want to fill it up. Sometimes it's pain behind that. Sometimes it's pain that you're trying to cover up and to get through. Other times it's just the enjoyment of of the fleeting pleasures. Whether whether it's that or anything else, it's it's a need to fulfill something that only God can fulfill. And that's what James is writing about. These rich landowners like leading this lavish lifestyle that's all about themselves. And this is the warning to the Christian community that, hey, look. God is ready to judge those who want to live in this way and not before him. How do we leave room for God in our lives? That becomes the question. A friend of mine whose life is extremely busy, a husband has a restaurant and and they're doing really well. They have five children. She said, I have to wake up at 6 a.m. every morning in order to spend time with God. If I don't do that, I don't have direction for my day. You see how God has been gracious to help her to see that your need is for me. Your self-care is centered around spending time with me. It's it's not easy to make a plan and keep it, though. We all have done that before. It's not easy. We need the Lord's help. We need his grace. Only the Lord can turn our hearts to look past the temptations to escape our pain and, and discomfort in this life. So that we are not tempted to give in to a life of self-indulgence. That we are not tempted to be and look like the world. Instead of learning, instead of learning how to be rich in God. So they're not the only ones living slavishly. They're doing other things as well. They're committing acts of violence against the innocent. The Lord rebukes them for this. In verse six, James says, you condemn and murder the righteous person, the innocent person. He does not resist you. In Luke six, we learn that Jesus says, hey, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given you for the, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You see, the cruel treatment that the rich is extending to those that are living by faith will return to them if they don't repent and turn from their ways. The righteous humble themselves, receiving the grace that God has promised. Moses spoke to this in Deuteronomy 24. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in the land. Without, within our towns, you shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets for he is poor and counts on it. Lest he cry out against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin. The daily wage meant so much. Poor people literally could die. That probably what that means right here, that they are mur- murdering the righteous person. Withholding their wages could mean that they starve to death when they're so desperate for that wage for that day. Whether through fraud or harm of others, the rich have destroyed the lives of the faithful and the innocent. They have become easy targets of blame for them and perverted treatment. The righteous person, they don't seek revenge. They are reminded Of God's word that says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. They're not trying to be overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. You know, one day with Gio in the passenger seat, I drove off slowly from the house. We came to the first stop sign and I pulled over to connect my phone to Bluetooth for our favorite songs. It was a beautiful Saturday morning. We were just taking our time. We came to the traffic light right there at the end of Decatur at Georgia Avenue. And there were at least three cars in front of us. All of a sudden, a cyclist came out of nowhere and looked in my window. I'm like, what's going on here? And then he unloaded on me with violent, condemning words that were too much for a nine-year-old to hear. All I can think about in that moment was giving my eyes, my undivided attention for his sake, for my sake, for Gio's sake. I'm not sure what happened to him and why he did that. Maybe I I was slow, too slow on the road that morning or something. I'm not sure. But even as I was calm, cool, and collective inside, though, I was tempted in my mind. With the things that I could do to retaliate. The Lord helped me that morning. The Lord helped me not to avenge myself through that violent attack. The Lord helped me to model something for my son. That I, if he wasn't there, I don't really know how I would have did. It was so violent, violently towards me. But God, God gave me grace in that moment. Perhaps the more powerful a person becomes the easier it is for them to believe that they can commit violent crimes and get away with it. They start to believe that another person's body belongs to them. They start to believe that they're so powerful that they can grab them in the face. They start to believe that they can touch their body parts, that they can do what they want to do with them, not realizing that they're heaping up abuse on the person that has trusted them to be a friend, to be a protector, to be a government official. There may be other challenges in the workplace of an unethical behavior that is not overlooked but expected. Whatever the situation, we must heed the warning of the of the rich and not commit these acts of violence against ourselves or any unethical means to others or do any kind of vicious acts. But see in order to withstand that we need the Lord's help. We need his grace. We need God to soften our hearts and to begin to see where this person is. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. He is the righteous one from God who was innocent of all sin. His violent oppressors literally put him to death, set his life on fire. They were jealous of Jesus. They wanted all the glory for themselves. They wanted the people to look up to them. They wanted to be the wisest. They knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God. Through their wealth and influence, they constructed a plan to put Jesus on the cross, crucify him. With Jesus out of the way, they can continue. Going and having the important seats and not feeling convicted about the indulgence of their lifestyles. And Jesus said to Peter, when they came to get him to, to arrest Jesus, Peter cut off the ear of the soldier. Jesus put it back on. Jesus looked at Peter and said, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. This is the Lord. This is his heavenly host in which he can dispatch at any times. The misery that was supposed to go to us landed on Jesus on the cross. The treasure of heaven was mocked. He was flawed. He got the 40 lashes minus one. It was the fraudulent act of these rich rulers that put him on the cross Jesus cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Lord of hosts had already acted swiftly to bring judgment on Jesus. His cry to heaven was too late. It didn't reach the ears of the Lord of hosts. We learn through 2 Corinthians 8, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The righteous was condemned for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. So that we can learn to live like him. So that we can let go of the fleeting pleasures of this world. So that we can let go of the power that God gives us, maybe in our workplaces, maybe in our homes, maybe in our families, so that we can learn how to come under and serve and love people that are in our care. So that we would not be charged with oppressing Those that are poor, that we will not be charged and looking down on others that are not like us, that look different from us. So that we will not buy into the narrative of our day that one racial group is more important than another. So that we can be the family of God together, eye to eye with one another, seeing that, wow, we all have the riches of Christ together together. That we all are bankrupt without the riches of Christ. That we all receive the grace of God together. And that it is Christ who is able to help us to heed the warning that James has given to the rich right here. So that we can warn those that are rich and, and, and have short-sightedness in our lives. So that we can be the ones to become the aroma of the gospel of grace for the sake of drawing men to Christ through our lives. We're praying that God would do this in our lives and through us. So like all of us, the invitation to wholehearted following Christ can be hard for those that are rich and have their hearts set upon another treasure. Jesus warned of this. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. The Lord awarded Solomon with wisdom for the purpose of leading God's people. And he gave Solomon something that he didn't even ask for. Riches. The riches were for God's purposes in the world. Solomon, after, after living for some time, became half-hearted towards God, and he turned to idol worship. We do not have to watch, we do have to watch our lives and heed the warning that the Lord has given us. A rebuke is gracious coming from the Lord. That means judgment hasn't happened. (laughs) Many kings were buried with their hoarded possessions, which we have dug up and stored in museums for all to see, because those treasures are Speaking against them of how they lived apart from God and believed that they would have those treasures after death. Some of them may have cheated their workers in order to gain more. In the end, we now see that it was just fraudulent activity. It was just hoarding up something that they can't take with them. It was hoarding up something that will not last. God gives us true treasure that lasts. How many of the people along the way did the rich condemn and commit violent acts towards? Heaven hears and heaven knows. We must be warned The treasures in this life will face decay and destruction. They pale in comparison to the true treasure we have stored up in heaven, namely Jesus himself. He's coming back and he's coming back soon. Are you ready? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your great grace. God, we bow our hearts to you and all that we have. God, help us to be rich in love towards one another. Help us be rich through the grace of Christ that you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen.